someone else's movie the podcast where an actor writer director or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make i'm norm wilner senior film writer for now magazine and this is the other thing i do it's no exaggeration to say that i've been looking forward to this episode ever since i started the show because as regular listeners are no doubt sick of hearing this podcast grew out of an interview i had with tatiana maslani three years ago we talked about the movie she was promoting, Kaz and Dylan. We talked about her show, Orphan Black. And then we ended up talking about Under the Skin for about five minutes. And it was just the best bit of the interview. It was also the bit that I couldn't use in the interview because it was utterly irrelevant. But it was also the bit where she was the most her, I was the most me, and it felt like there was a real conversation happening. So a few months later, when someone asked me what I would do with the podcast, this is the kind of thing I thought of. So thanks, Tat. This literally wouldn't be happening without you. So... My guests this week are Tatiana Maslany and Tom Cullen. They're phenomenal actors. Tatiana in Orphan Black, for which she finally won an Emmy last year, and Tom in Andrew Hayes' Weekend, and on Downton Abbey and Black Mountain Poets, which should be available over here any day now. You can see them being phenomenal together in Joey Klein's The Other Half, which hits VOD in Canada today and opens in U.S. theaters on Friday. Tat and Tom chose There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson's epic 2007 drama starring Daniel Day-Lewis as an oil man named Daniel Plainview who carves his way through America in the early 1900s, and Paul Dano as the preacher who believes he stands in his way. It's one of the last great cinematic epics, mammoth in scope while intimate in focus, and it was an absolute pleasure to get Tat and Tom hopped up on sugar and roll into this recording. One small note about the sound. Circumstances required us to tape this episode in a room with a window that was open a crack, a crack, 20 feet away, and some traffic noise crept in. Hopefully the conversation is interesting enough that you won't mind. I certainly didn't. This is someone else's movie. We just both looked at each other and that was the one that came up, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, we, and we've always said that um, I'll just drop in and watch a scene and then I end up watching the whole movie. Right. Yeah. And I've been, I just do that like... Three twice a year, three times a Since year. Since it came out, yeah, it's always been that. But I haven't actually watched it for ages, so it was nice to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was different. I hadn't seen it for about a year, I think, since it's it, we watched it over two nights okay. this week, and it it looked different to me. Like something about Paul Dano's performance was different to me this time. How so? Because I don't know, and I I just um. I saw it a bit more. I think the first time I saw the movie, I was in the Varsity VIP. Mm-hmm. So it was like... Oh, so you're locked in with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're living with, you know, with like, there's only like 20 people in there with you, but you're all there because you, like you paid a lot more to be there to right. see it. So it's like a special thing. But I just remember being so, like I was laughing through the whole film out of shock. Okay. Just out of um, excitement and shock at what was happening on screen, like the performance. It's pretty audacious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you mentioned Paul Dano, and even though I've seen it a whole bunch of times, every time someone mentions that there's anyone else in the movie besides Daniel Day-Lewis. But see, that's... Oh, that's right, he's in there too. That's exactly what it felt like seeing it now. I was like, oh, right, he's in this movie, because I'd only ever pictured... Just remembered Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, he he obliterates all comers. Like that's the yeah. whole point, right? Like it's the he's alone in the beginning and he's sort of alone in the end, and and that's all you take <laughs> away is this continuum of, of 
whatever it is he does, this rage capitalism based thing. Yeah. The son of, I think I called him the bastard son of Mr. Burns and John Houston's Noah Cross from Chinatown, but <laughs> that implies that those things are precedents. I don't think, right. I, I really don't he think. Based, he based, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis based a lot of his character on John Houston. He said that, really? yeah. His voice and watched a lot of, I think um, Paul Thomas Anderson was sending him a lot of interviews and films and in, in the kind of like 20 years that it took him to prepare for the role yeah <laughs> yeah but didn't he come with a different voice I heard that he came with a certain voice to set oh interesting this is all like hearsay I feel sure. like there's so much myth and around they were like no and he went back for another year yeah yeah and then it's like okay we have to stop production I'm not for, sure if that's it's true it's fact it's a fact it's <laughs> what happened um yeah. I could actually see Anderson being that supportive of Day Lewis. Totally. Because that's his thing. Like, he'll get behind his actors and encourage them to anything, everything. Yeah. Um, I, I remember reading a, a, an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson where he was talking about The Master, and he was like, I love, I love actors. They're just such idiots. <laughs> <laughs> They'll literally do anything that I ask them to do. Uh-huh. Anything. He was talking about Whacking Phoenix. And uh-huh. just, yeah, he, he would do anything, I, I asked him. He'd die if, right. if, 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 if I asked him to do it. So mm-hmm. those fluids he's mixing are real, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Just, yeah, photofluid, whatever. Totally. It's, um, but this is also the most... I, it stands out to me amongst all of Anderson's films because yeah. it feels like the one that is least showy. Mm-hmm. And it's all overwhelming, assaultive imagery, acting, music, everything, but it doesn't feel, like, it feels of a piece. So, watching it again, I just realized, oh, yeah, this is just as audacious as anything in uh, Boogie Nights, and mm-hmm. just as, like, balls out weird as anything in Magnolia, and Punch Drunk Love. It just, it doesn't come across as a look-at-me sort of thing, because that's I think Jay Lewis is doing that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's obviously what, what, what happened, wasn't it? it? Watching it again, I, he holds the camera, and big wides and holds it for a really long time and just allows Daniel Day-Lewis to do his thing and maybe they're a great combination because he can trust that he can trust Daniel Day-Lewis to do a lot of that work for him to like live in the frame yeah just in in his physicality alone I feel like so much of the story is told regardless just just him walking through that field in that one, uh, when he goes to see his son, when he when his son comes back, and you just see like labor. You just like I always think he looks like my grandpa. My grandpa, how my grandparents walk because okay. they built houses and they built cabinets their whole life, and they've got like this body that is in the gr- like broken, busted up, yeah. like you know bent legs. And, yeah, like, gravity has worked more. Yeah, than but he does just like live in the frame fully. He's like always alive. And it feels like as far away from him as the camera might be, he can still reach it. Mm-hmm. He's projecting that far somehow. Mm-hmm. It's um, Paul F. Tompkins has talked about acting yes. his one scene. Did you did you listen to I Was There Too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we listened to that as well. Which is sort of the mirror image version of this podcast. Yeah. It's about people who are in things as opposed to people who can, like, contractually can't be in things. Yeah, yeah. That they're talking about. But the idea of, well, the way Tompkins describes it is that the, he comes up against Day-Lewis's intensity mm-hmm. and is just as an actor, knowing he's perfectly safe, is still freaked out and terrified it's, by it. He, yeah. I've, I've encountered that two or three times in, in situations that 
are completely professional otherwise. I interviewed Ray Fiennes once, and he was... Well, He's an intense guy. He can be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having a perfectly cordial conversation. It was about Coriolanus, and then gradually he started telling me about this one sequence where he's close, like, nose-to-nose with Gerard Butler, and before I realized it was even happening, he had his hand around the back of my head just to show me how close they were, and it's like, I'm in a scene with Ray Fine. I don't know how this has happened, but this is, this is, I have no preparation for this. Like, yeah. Nothing I have ever experienced is doing this. Yeah. And then two days later, I'm in a room with Gerard Butler, and he's doing the same fucking thing. Really? Telling me about his scene with Fine's. Except for the hand. He just brought his face really close to me. No and way. I get it. Like, I get this sort of weird animalistic thing that comes on to an actor when mm-hmm. it's happening. Mm-hmm. And it was utterly alien. But in the film, you can see it. You can almost see it radiating between Tompkins and, and Day-Lewis. Like, it's yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. It's yeah. physically there. Well, and also you feel that, I feel that so much, I think and that's what I was really seeing in Paul Dano's performance, was like... Because he'd had no prep, right? You said that he was like... Yeah, this is the he thing. He came in late, and it and was had, like two had, days prep or something. Yeah, yeah. And thrown in with Daniel Day-Lewis, who has this like extensive prep, and is so living the character. And I feel like... And I think Paul um, Thomas Anderson does this a few times in his films, where the acting process is actually the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, the scene is about the process of an actor who's not as prepared as the other yeah. and how does the prepared one like dismantle the other do you know what I mean yeah, like I do I do it, and it's the same as in the master there's almost this there's this like Meisner thing that's happening between um, do you remember in with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix or and Joaquin Phoenix and a bunch of characters but there's like Meisner that's yeah. happening on screen but it makes so much sense for the story I can't conceive what it would be like to show up and be suddenly responsible for you know acting just to to even to just not break character seems mm. impossible especially in uh, against Daniel Plainview I'm not even going to yeah. talk about him as Daniel Day-Lewis right. he's <laughs> so completely not Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. uh, in that and then to watch the film just sort of roll forward we're introduced to him as an animal he, mm-hmm. he doesn't speak for the first what 15 minutes yeah. there's just no dialogue and, and apart from I think he says no yeah, yeah. that's right when uh, well, the when he starts to slip, right? When he says, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In, our, in the press screening that I saw, um, which was the second one because it was opening in January in Toronto and it was screened late because Paramount didn't get it to us in time. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we missed the first one. So I went yeah. to the second screening and there were people who were back from the first one, which mm-hmm. is just unprecedented. Right. Like it's unheard mm-hmm. of in, in Toronto. In, critic circles as far as I know that quickly there's so much else to see and people no no I'm carving out three hours and coming back to wow, see this again wow. and it played like 2001 hmm. just that bleak landscape stuff at the beginning it feels like the dawn of man and then there's this there's mirroring at the end with the bowling alley that almost feels like it could be the hotel room at the end of 2001 that there's some kind oh, of I echo thing going on well enough, oh it's yeah. just like it starts with well, savagery he, and he and actually that. wanted to paint the bowling alley completely white oh really in, to even to, in honor of Kubrick, <sighs> but uh, there was something about the house because the house was uh, owned by a guy that he built. Uh, he was an oil man who was uh, <laughs> <laughs> an oil <laughs> man. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm being. I'm being tired. Um, no, you're not. You're um, contemplative. And we can cut around stuff if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Just pause. Um, 
You're yes. speaking of the oil. It was the, yeah. It's some, <laughs> some, like something Dahini or something. I, I can't remember his name, but uh, Paul Thomas Anderson drew a lot from this guy for Daniel Plainview when writing him. Um, and the bowling alley is actually in this summer house that this real-life oil man had uh, built for his only son. And he, he wanted to paint oh. the whole thing white in honour of Kubrick. I think, a lot, I think a lot of it had to do with, actually, um, uh, Jesus, Clock, Clockwork Orange. Oh, that right. makes sense, yeah. Uh, you know that, because that brutal beating feels really... Uh, Really, clockwork orange, but mm. but uh, the, the house is being sold, so he he couldn't do it. Oh. He was going to paint it all white and then restore it again. Oh, weird! That was a, that was a house. That wasn't a set. It feels no, no, it's a yeah. real, it's a it real feels place. Like there's no back wall, right? It, doesn't it feel like a set? Like it feels like a, a contrived, created structure. Yeah. Although so much of the film does, and it was shot in outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing about the film too is it doesn't feel like the world outside exists. Mm. It's like it's so even though there's these wide expanses of space and they do travel like it it revolt like he is the center of the world like I really don't I, I and I think maybe it's the time too and what's going on in his head which is just like forward and like him and like singular like it's just like I don't picture the outside world happening right while he's just expanding on this this one area of land which it's, actually yeah he's creating it I mean, yeah. which is the the other metaphor of capitalism versus um, Christianity, basically. I mean, mm. just the way that he's constantly being pestered by religious figures, and they're all the same guy. <laughs> but you know, Eli comes, Eli goes. There's there's all this stuff that's happening outside his purview. But you're right, unless he acknowledges it, it's not real. It does, it might as well not exist. Yeah, it's this rapacious robber baron thing. Yeah, that's so oh thrilling, but but terrifying because again, I don't want to be in a room with him ever. No. I. I you know, you I would have like, loved to sit opposite him, though. Holy shit, as <laughs> that character. Just because I wanted to kiss his face. Yeah. So handsome. Now, but is this Day Lewis or Daniel Plainview? D- Daniel Plainview. Because it could work out. I have yeah. to say, Day Lewis, when, I don't, when we watched interviews after, I was like, oh no, I like him better as Plainview. <laughs> he was wearing a silly shirt, though. He was he? wearing a very silly and shirt, a silly very hat. silly hat. Yeah. Perhaps but, it was an attempt to get away. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's like, look how different I am. Look at me, I'm actually a clown. Yeah. <laughs> I promise I've not eaten anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's like, that's not. He just turns up in all black. Yeah. Like, in like a he's neutral like, I'm just mask. a blank slate. I don't want you to see my face. Yeah. He's Banksy. <laughs> he speaks you know, to an automated. Yeah. He could be Banksy. I would, I would probably believe him. <laughs> yeah, right. Daniel Day Lewis is Banksy. Yeah, yeah. It's the time. It's happening. One soon. It works so infrequently. Totally. Um, apparently, uh, Paul Dano's first film after being cast as Eli. His first scene in the film uh-huh. that he shot uh-huh. was the scene where Daniel Day-Lewis shoves his face into the mud. Of course it is. I'm yeah. going to bury you. Yeah. And then shoves mud into his mouth. Yeah. I, I think that that... Is there any fear that you have of an act, as an actor that you're going to be working with Daniel Day-Lewis? As soon as you've done that, I think you'll, you'll be fine. You know? There's nothing you can... The there's back no... has been broken. Yeah. You know? There's no more, like, submissive you can get at that point. Paul Dana's performance in that film is is interesting, though, because uh, I I watched it this time and I did get a little... I got a lot of sense of fear from him mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of his 
the work, and, and I think knowing that he only had a few days, that noticed that he was holding on to a lot of his words, and mm-hmm. um, and I think against the ease of Day Lewis, mm-hmm. it really it really stood out because he, he's emotionally incredibly brave actor. He's so committed to every moment. Yeah, Paul yeah. To every moment. It's it's fearless. Yeah. But there felt like there was something holding him on, actually, mm-hmm. holding on. And it was... I don't know whether it was the script or the language or... But it's also... Like, I was thinking about it after, too. It's also kind of the, the, the job. The character... Like you were saying, some of it felt a bit rehearsed. Mm. But his sermons are rehearsed, probably. And he is like a, he's an actor. Yeah. Oh, Eli, right? Like rehearsed. Eli's an actor. Yeah, yeah. no question if he's. Yeah, like yeah. even he's he's rehearsed the speeches he's going to give people when he's not when preaching. he's not on. Like his final yeah. thing about asking for money. He you can see him slide into the prepared. Yeah. Well, what I want is yeah. sequence, but he's also so yeah he's so tremulous around plain view mm-hmm. because I think because he knows he could set him off at any minute. The mm-hmm. volatility of of the performance opposite him is kind of priming well and he's the only one who doesn't buy it like he's the only one who's not like I am moved by the spirit like yeah. there's that amazing scene oh, yeah. the the I abandoned my boy scene which I just love and I hadn't noticed how there's a moment where after he has this big kind of expulsion of this real feeling of I abandoned my boy where you do see what, his what, humanity the closest thing to a person yeah know. yeah and like regret and and then then Eli does something that Daniel Plainview doesn't believe yeah and suddenly he's like oh fuck you and he just starts mocking him and it's like from deep truth to like the the cover again and the cruelty again and the and the the masculinity again and like the power just comes back in two seconds yeah. and it's all on his face and it's just so thrilling to watch I think that's why I laugh when I watch it because I'm actually like it's, it's like thrilling yeah. it's thrilling it's like being on a roller coaster I just want to be part of it I want to know what that is I want to like be yeah. in that you know and it lets you breathe with it too in a weird mm. way it's, it's the um, it's the energy of the film just pushing and pulling and the pendulum of power swinging in that one scene yeah. is incredible because yeah it's it goes on forever mm-hmm. and it's merciless and it's one take yeah and it's, it's incredibly yeah. brave and I can't I mean it must have taken I assume it took a week like to get that one take that they used or it's the only mm. take they shot I think it's the first take that they shot really actually yeah and uh so that was the that was uh, Paul Dano's second day of filming again. So Paul Thomas, so Paul Thomas Anderson went right. Daniel Day Lewis has just shoved mud into his face. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make him do the scene where he where he has to. And so that's why that's why apparently he was slapping him because <laughs> the day before he'd oh been really beaten up yeah and so he, he was like I think the slap is unexpected. I think that's why why the laugh is so genuine because I think it takes Daniel Day-Lewis by surprise so great oh, yeah I just I... but in terms of the rhythm of, of, of the, the film and those scenes that's what's so incredible about the filmmaking is is that he he trusts that his story and his actors so much <laughs> that he was able to go right I'm just going to do this and I'm going to hold the camera I'm going to get no coverage 
and and that it it just works his whole the whole film it just works and it's it's so brave because he isn't able to in the edit fix it or change it yeah. mm-hmm. it takes an immense amount of trust mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's incredibly impressive yeah. or maybe he did get a, a load of coverage but just this w- one take was perfect mm-hmm. and, yeah I don't, I don't know I don't know if you can I mean I don't know how you can ask your actors to do that over and over again mm-hmm. um, although if it's the centerpiece and they know that that's probably like, everything else is sort of a cakewalk we're going to do this now Yeah. but to do it so early in the shoot yeah. it's almost as though he's trying to get <laughs> just in case Day-Lewis kills Dano by mistake or something. <laughs> how many of us because this Where is my, is my theory is that at the end of the film he's not eating steak he's eating the last guy who played Eli Sunday oh, they couldn't, or the last guy who came asking for money it depends it works in universe or out yeah, yeah. But, but the intensity that he that, that the intensity that Anderson demands from his actors is just so it's unlike anything else in any of his other movies Magnolia's has lightness and darkness mm-hmm. and um, Boogie Nights I mean it's a comedy right up until it isn't yeah and this is just you know hi please place your throat in this grabbing machine at the very beginning of the film we'll stay here for three hours enjoy the show yeah totally the comedy comes from the release of tension and we're still terrified but you get to go "Ah, yeah that's funny yeah it's I mean there's nothing else like it the master is weird and 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 off-putting intentionally in different ways Mm -hmm. and, and inherent vice is relaxed and funny and strange in a different way but there's nothing else like this film no and I'm so glad you guys picked it because not just because it's a great actor picture but it's also a great director picture and totally. you can approach it from either way but I don't know that there is another thing like it mm-hmm. I mean my comparisons to 2001 are strictly formal I don't think that you could argue the same intention or I mean other than the unknowable alien thing that lurks in the middle of the movie which yeah. is the monolith in one and Daniel Plainview in the other mm-hmm. but it's so yeah, it's just, it's so unique. It is yeah. so unlike anything else that exists. I think, and it's interesting because there's such a, a, like, a tension to it, but there's such a lightness to the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's, there, like, there's an odd, you know what it is? It's, it's got this thing where, like, we were watching that one scene where he's just, like, on the horse and they're, they're, like, measuring the land. Oh, yeah. And it's just them like walking on horses, measuring the land. But the music is like, like it's like so high. It's almost like it it contra- like it contrasted in such a bizarre way. Yeah. Keeps this like, and and I normally find music to be extremely manipulative in films. Like I don't. I'd rather there was, you know, like if it's there, it's got to be like kind of experiential as opposed to telling me what to feel or right, whatever. Right. But what's but it's so it's so loud in this, and yet I don't feel manipulated by it at all. It feels like it's like it's well, almost. No, it's not. It's not like. Sub, it's not kind of like meant to be this subconscious kind of like low drone that comes in at the moment you're supposed to cry. Right. It feels like a very central part of the makeup of the film. Mm-hmm. It feels like another character of the, yeah. the music. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and I, I feel like it's often in tune with his inner his inner feeling so so at the at the point that he's that that Tat's talking about uh he hasn't 
he's forgotten to, about this one guy who he's trying to get the land from and the, the guy he wanted to speak to him and he didn't go Bandy he, Bandy because he'd eventually come around but he doesn't so he rides out to see him and he's not in and they are just riding and sticking these stuff in but the music is like the the Pinnacle of a of a thriller. It's yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. This, is, this is the scariest. Like the moment. climax. Yeah. The climax. Yeah. Maybe that's and it. Maybe that's the noise in his head. That's the noise in his head. To totally. Mm-hmm. And it's this frustration and this rage at himself. That, that this inner kind of turmoil that he might have screwed it up. The whole thing. The whole thing. He might have made a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're both physically like pulling into yourselves remembering this moment because well, of the tension. It's incredible. But I'm also just realizing, like, I literally don't know what happens in this movie. I've seen it probably 50 times. And, you, like, you I don't... You don't know what happens in any in movie. In any movie. Yeah. And I'm just... I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I picture... I, I, I don't know how I experience movies, but it's by no means plot-based at all. Ta- like, I literally Ta- yeah. don't understand. That's a very pure actor in, in this, when she works. It, it, what, makes <laughs> her so, what makes her so good is that the work that she does is so in the moment of what is happening in that scene. And so we've been watching The Sopranos <laughs> recently, <laughs> and uh, she was just sat there with this big <laughs> smile on my face, on her face, and I went, God, I, God, I feel really sorry for that character. She went, Why? <laughs> Well, well, because of this and this and this, he's like, who's that? Like, he's the guy we saw in the last scene. Like, Is he? Doesn't know what's going on, but really enjoying the scene because enjoying the acting. And I know why you like there will be blood because the acting is superb. <laughs> uh, it's just a really fun performance yeah. of like emotional commitment. Yeah. And, and I get his and like Im- I get his journey. I feel sure. it. But I couldn't. But if you were well, like, like just tell drone, me the the plot of There Will Be Blood, I'd be like, Tom, go on, <laughs> like, no clue. But the the film isn't really about a plot. It's not. It's him. It's just him, isn't it? It's just his like. It's just a man's journey through. It's like a drone of aggression and. But I love I love then too that he's able like. Amazing work on Daniel Day Lewis's part because it is so much about masculinity, and we were talking about that. You're like, it's such a masculine performance, mm-hmm. and yet his voice is the there's a lightness to his voice, there's a musical yeah. kind of quality to his voice. It's that like, lilt. It's yeah, the, it's the way that he brings things up and brings them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a da 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 da. Very nice. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sitting opposite. <laughs> well, I'd have to grab your head and right. <laughs> yank it. But, but how did you grow that moustache? <laughs> I had it in my bag. <laughs> no, the, the, the voice is immensely fun, too. Right? It's just, so wacky. You, you want to be his friend, and you know he will eat you. Yeah. <laughs> the appeal of the character comes through. You spend... Because that first 15 minutes of silence, mm-hmm. he's... You know, you, you cannot help but root for him because right. you've watched him fall and you know this is all about a man who is struggling so okay yeah. I'm on his side yeah. and then you realize what he's struggling for and what it means and where it's going and yeah. you just gradually fall away from sympathy except when he speaks because again he's 
he's wheedling, he's selling, he want you, he's seductive. You to be yeah, part of it. Yeah, is it like a salesman's like a like yeah. a like a um, old timey salesman voice? Like there's like something a about barker. yeah, an old timey salesman. Hey, old salesman. Oh yeah, one of those. Guys. But there is something. There's something very <laughs> un like un nowadays where people are. It seems to me there's such a fear of. Um, at least I I do this and I notice this. A fear of of music in the voice, like mm. of especially men. I would I. And oh, I'm, for I'm speaking sure. on behalf of you guys, but like Thank from a, from my perspective, watching it, the way masculinity is portrayed is like a is like it's a. It seems rigid and and constrictive, mm. whereas he is. There, there's, there's like, like his body is masculine, and yet the way he holds the baby, the baby, the way he lets the baby pull on his mustache, yeah. there's like a surrender there. There's like an, uh, and the and the music of his voice, it's it's like, it's not cool. Like it's not a cool, cool yeah. cowboy voice. It's like a <laughs> right. Like what am I? What am I making? No, it's I. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like an unguarded vulnerability. Maybe yeah, he doesn't even know he's doing almost. Sometimes. Yeah, well, there's actually... this great bit where Paul uh, uh, Sunday. Yes, the first. Sunday. Yeah, the, the first f- of the two Sundays. Yeah, uh, the clone. <laughs> yeah, I made an awful black <laughs> reference then. Don't do Did that. Did you notice? Yeah, cut it out. It's a clone. Cut it out. Clone Sunday could be. Clone Sunday. <laughs> on Sunday, there could be a whole bunch of Paul Danos running <laughs> yeah, around right. in 1915. I'm into yeah. that. You know, doing stuff. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. For once, uh, so yeah, Paul Sunday does does this deal, and uh, Danny Day Lewis. Interesting, he does a deal. Okay. <laughs> turns around and says something along the lines of. Um, if I find out that you've lied to me, I will find you and I'll take back more than my what I'm owed or yeah, something like that. You you understand that, don't you? And he does it in such a light, very matter of fact, very honest way. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, a lot. I think a lot of actors, men, and, and I think you're right. It's, they have to push and work for that masculinity and that fear and that that danger, mm-hmm. and it's so effortless for him. He 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 trusts he trusts the character so much. He trusts the reality of it. He's not working f- to scare somebody, and I think that, mm-hmm. that gives him Daniel Plainview a real. There's something ferocious about about him. Mm-hmm. about the matter of fact of the violence that, that he's capable of. I think it's the way Daniel Day-Lewis can read an actor. I feel like I'm watching him read his scene partner all the time for just as an actor, yeah. like as an exercise, like that he's just he's just saying the truth, like he says the truth, simply. And that's then true, he that's, never actually lies to anyone, does he? I mean, he swindles once or twice. Yeah. That's he's, why he's the ultimate hero. Yeah, he's yeah. open about it when yeah. he's doing yeah. it. Yeah. You know, he, in the same way that Richard III, I think, is the greatest Shakespearean hero, because he's the only person that's going around going, I'm going to do this, yeah. I'm, and I've got blood on my hands, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to really fuck everyone up. 
and it's going to be messy. Watch this. This is fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone else in Richard III, you know, are pretending that they are good people. But at no point does Daniel Plainview pretend he's a good person. And for that reason, you know, he just he, puts his kid there. He lays, as like he lays the, the buffer. Yeah. Sure, that's a lie. You know, yeah. that's, his, that's his salesman. And it's a great prop. It's, it's a, a great prop. selling. That's yeah. how you do it. Mm-hmm. But he, but he's a hero because he he lays out what he wants and he gets it, and he doesn't he doesn't care if people like him. And there's something so sexy about that, mm-hmm. and admirable. Like I think the human condition is you just want people to like you, mm. and constantly searching for validation and appraisal and love, and and Daniel Plainview doesn't doesn't need that, and. I, I think it's fun to watch those characters. I enjoy watching Daniel Plainview because in lots of ways he's exactly who I want to be. <laughs> mm. You know. The the relationship with the kid is really interesting, isn't it? That's amazing. And 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 how 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 Daniel Delos plays with the vulnerability of seeing this person who loves actually he loves this kid mm-hmm. and that watching somebody grow up is so exciting um, and how hard it is for him to admit that hmm. that's true because the, the pushing like all the all the things he extends to him are the things he immediately tries to take back in a weird physical way like he'll just hmm. pay attention to him and then sort of completely shut off and do something else mm-hmm. in a given scene mm-hmm. other than the yeah, I mean, but I think everything revolves around the kid. Actually, yeah. he shuts off because he feels like he should, and the guilt that he drives him about the kid, about him being deaf, about him sending him off, mm-hmm. it hurts him so deeply. And it, it, it you know, there's, when he has the fake brother come and he talks about the father, and he says, um, you know, the father is obviously had a relationship with other women and what that's done to done to him and that he is such a solo man there's so much pain and taught hurt I just think that he plays those moments with the kid so well mm-hmm. so perfectly judged that's it's superb it's interesting that there's no there's no relationship yeah, I don't think he's ever even seen with another with a woman. Right? No, Not there's like the one woman. scene where his brother is in the brothel, I guess, and he's giving him money to to go with the yeah. woman that's laughing off screen. But Daniel Plainview has never seen the only woman he has interaction with is that um, is that little girl is the little girl who yeah yeah who there's no female. Like and his and his mother is that who's in that photo? There's something with his mom. At least he says it is. Yeah, yeah. But there's just nothing. There's no. His he has no person. Yeah. He has nobody. And I wonder if that's like his relationship to the earth at the very beginning. If that's some mm. kind of weird metaphor about having come back out again. He doesn't yeah. need anything else. Yeah. Because all he wants, all he ever wants, is related to the earth. It's the oil. It's the money that comes from the oil. It's the the domination of this thing that tried to kill him once. Maybe that's yeah. it. He just has no other appetite. Yeah. Except for the thing at the end. Yeah. I think he just... wants honesty. Mm-hmm. I think that he um, he's all of those mm. things driven and wanting power and money. In every relationship he has, all that all that he asks for is is 
honesty and, and, and connection and reality. I think the Kieran Hines character, he likes him so much because he trusts him and it's, on, you know, it's a real relationship. But I think the reason he hates Eli so much is because he knows that he's bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, what's, uh, he's got an incredibly strong moral compass. The fact that you know he protects that little girl from being, the, abused. being abused by the dad. But the honesty thing, yeah, again, it, it kind of leads back to the fact that I think he's the ultimate hero. And, and he, he... Yeah, I don't, I'm going to actually just stop because I don't actually know what I'm talking about. But The honesty thing's so interesting, though. I just keep... Sketched idea. That no, it's cool, though. I keep, like... Because he is, like, a bad guy. He's, like... Yeah, yeah I mean, objectively, he's yeah. not a good person. Yeah. But he's also clearly the film's hero. Yeah. And in a weird... I've been wrestling with this for a while, the last couple of years. He's... He's not wrong. Like, he's defining the way... If the, if the movie is about capitalism versus Christianity, or at least the, the, the interplay and the, and the push and pull between the two, defining America for the 20th century, which mm-hmm. is my pet thesis, mm. just because Anderson started off by trying to adapt up in Sinclair's oil and then went off totally in his own direction with this fictional story he wanted to tell. Mm. Um, that seems to me to be the thing that pulls, because it's what pulls in the book, too, about how the, you know, the oil men came and the world changed and, yeah. and how everything would be different after that. And, you know... Plainview kind of has the 50s and 60s and the 80s and 90s and certainly where we are now. I mean, that's without trying to bait you into a political conversation about the immediate present. No, no, yeah. um, that's where America's going. Like, mm-hmm. He sees it and no one else does. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, he is, if not a literal hero, he's the visionary. He's the man who sees the thing that no one else can see and mm-hmm. runs with it, which in any other movie would make him the hero. You know the guy who the guy who invented the the alternating wiper got a movie, uh, the, the, the Flash of Genius with Greg Kinnear. It's not very good. And um, me, <laughs> I was in it. Oh my god! That's why I came up. With, that must be why I thought it, of it. So I was in it and I wrote it and <laughs> I was it. Well, I don't blame you. Um, you were great in it. Though. Oh, thanks, Tom. You saw it. <laughs> he did not it. see it. I don't think I've seen it. It's not, it's not very good. No. Um, <laughs> Okay, that's bizarre. <laughs> not, not since I Sorry, put on Greg. Survival of the Dead and snapped my head around to see you in the first ten minutes. Oh yeah, Diary of the Dead. Diary of the Dead. See, Diary. This is how bad I like the idea of the survival of the that dead. That was the one that's afterwards. Another, that's the next one. Oh, that is that was the one yeah. that followed up, and Simon Pegg had a small survive. cameo in it, and I was really upset that I wasn't in that one because you didn't get to kiss him. Either. Didn't get to kiss Simon Pegg. But surely there's a possibility of this happening somewhere down the line. Tom, you I, can I, make I phone calls. Simon Pegg. You have. <laughs> Um, what were you he, saying? He You're saying he was asleep at the time. Oh right. Yeah. Is this a theater school story? Is this one of those things that I'm going to hear about? <laughs> no, yeah, no, very it was, upsetting. I am. Um, I I did my my first job was was with Simon Pegg. Which one? Wait. I, uh, it was called Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. And directed I was, by Edgar Wright. Directed by Edgar Wright. I was uh, I was in drama school. Doing. I wasn't doing acting. I was kind of. I was doing acting and physical theatre. Mm-hmm. Interested in movement and dance and what not. Um, and these guys came into college, uh, this casting director, and made us all put on these black cloaks and run around. And then we had recalls, and then I ran around again in a black cloak. And then we all went and filmed as basically we were just glorified extras. extras. Yeah. 
and then I got selected <laughs> to be um, the glorified extra. And I, uh, I, I filled in for this black cloak figure that's running around killing all of the... Oh, so you're the featured hoodie. He's the I guy. Am. Yeah. That's a, I had no idea. But Is I, that crazy? Um, I wasn't... So we wore tights over our head. Right. And this hood. And I remember the, the second AD wouldn't let me take it off so that I could breathe. <laughs> so he made me sit in this chair with this thing on for the whole day. And so I just sat there. So I was just this faceless person. Um, and then I ended up working with... With uh, with that AD on 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 my, on, on, uh, on another film that I did where I was one of the leads, okay. and I remembered her, <laughs> and I remember going to you don't remember me, but I remember you, <laughs> you vile vile person, and I couldn't breathe, and, and I nearly died on set. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then I met Edgar Wright a few years later and embarrassingly told him this story and he didn't care at all <laughs> <laughs> he was like cool go away <laughs> it's all in the service of the picture yeah <laughs> I was um, I was I was almost going I mean, I still probably could uh, I was going to write a book on Sean uh, just a little one a little pop classic can I talk to you about you it you absolutely I, can it's like that there will be blood. That and women under the influence are my top three favorite films I know. of ben, all time. Ben Lewis said that once you heard yeah. that uh, women was taken, that he, you would probably go for Sean. Yes, um, if Tom hadn't been here, I would have gone for Sean. We could, I would have happily done Sean. We could do separate stuff You don't stuff know enough later. about Sean, Tom. I can quote the bloopers to Sean of the Dead. No have you met Simon Pegg? No, I have. No, lucky. He's pretty in cool. a black mask. He does. I discovered he's, he, we've met a few times and he's forgotten me subsequently. Oh, no. uh, well, I, mean, I can't blame him. He's got stuff going on. Uh-huh. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times. Uh, the last time I was on the phone, and then I ran into him at TIFF um, for "Kill Me Three Times," um, which is the Australian film he made. He plays a killer. Mm. Uh, Teresa Palmer's in it, and oh, cool. Mark Weber. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. We kind of decide. <laughs> I'm sorry. The film critic in me has to be honest. With I was in that film. <laughs> you were the third bullet. Yeah, um, but we came like we came into the the theater at the same moment in the Scotiabank, and I just said, "Oh, hey, Simon," you know, just reflexively, and he said, "Hi, mate," and it's like that's what you say to people when you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, buddy. Yeah, everybody. Hey, has man. A, everybody oh, has a reflection. Hey. Uh, how have you been? I did, and my problem is that when you have these conversations with people podcast or interview or whatever there's an intimacy that naturally happens mm-hmm. and people become friendly and all that and with Peg our three or four sit downs over the, the years have been fun enough that I instantly lapse into hey how are you and of course mm-hmm. he's talked to 5,000 people since me right. and that's, that's totally fine it's weird the intimacy that you assume with things with people mm-hmm. with, with properties with stuff that you love mm-hmm. uh, and with, with Sean for me it was just like I pitched Edgar on the book when he came through for The World's End. Yeah. And we almost got it at, uh, it was going to be an ECW Pop Classics, one of those little books. So mm-hmm. we'll push harder. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a place to have this conversation. Yeah. But, oh my God. But yeah, no, Sean's wonderful. It's, what do you mean you're so going to write a book? What literally you... a pop culture classics book, which would then be would like, like, chapter like, by chapter. Like I can a... send you the pitch. I got the oh, crazy Oh, please. You mean like, oh, a, sure. like an essay about the film? Or... Yeah, no, a complete... Uh, I was gonna with interviews with oh, cool. cultural impact because I do think you got one person who'd buy it. Yeah, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I used to have a Shaun of the Dead action figure. Oh, I still do. That tall guy yeah. with uh, the cricket bag. No, oh no, I have the the uh, kid gave me the Shaun and Ed dolls that are this big. Oh, mine's like mine was like a big 
fully articulate <laughs> I gave it away when I was like, so maybe I should be a grown adult woman. You should watch that. I'm almost totally. 50. You can have as many toys as you want. I know. There are toys of you, of both of you, right? In the world. There must be stuff. You're going to have toys soon. I don't yeah. have There a must toy be a Funko of you by now. No? There will be. You're, he's going to have... That sounded I'd, I'd weirdly insulting, this. and I apologize. I'd, what? No. <laughs> Funko. Funko, yeah. yeah. I had to do a, a thing the other, the other day. It wasn't the other day. It was about a month ago. Did where, they get a scan? Yeah, they stuck, so they stuck me on this green giant pizza type thing that like spun mm-hmm. around and I had to hold I had to hold this pose as this this little guy just turned it incrementally Rotated and they you. took pictures god it was so embarrassing with about 40 people watching you you know like scratching their balls and, <laughs> and why are they doing that because that's what that's the, that's the effect I have on, oh, right. on them. But they're emulating as your soon as they, As soon as they yeah. see me, they just want to touch their balls. Well, so, how long is this? That's not true, I'm going to veer away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> the sugar is really kicking in. I can I'm suddenly notice right how many things are missing. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, we're talking yeah. about that with the blood, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there should be a Funko of Daniel Plainview. We'll get there. I would get that. How long does something like that take? What's that? The, the scanning process. Oh. I'm two, fascinated by it. Two minutes? Two, yeah, but too long for me because I just kept on laughing. Yeah. So your guy's all blurred. I, have, <laughs> I had that one, remember, I sent you? I sent you two. I gave you two different guys of yeah, me. Yeah, I've got them. Yeah, somewhere. Well, your foot's fallen. No? My foot broke off. Well, yeah, your foot's fallen off one of them. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. It's creepy. They're it's very weird. creepy. Must be. I mean, it's a bizarre 3D thing. scanning thing. Yeah. You can make food. They can scan food. They can make food. So what do they make it out of? Don't know. Just like a... It's like it edible um, or replication food? I don't know. Maybe you just make that up. Do you make food that you can put in a store window instead of actually putting food out every day. You can no, have I a... feel like I heard that they were actually making like bread, but I think I made that up. Maybe I dreamt that. What bit? That what? doesn't sound at all. Replicable bread. I well, think so I would... That's Star Trek. Yeast, yeah. maybe. Maybe yeast. I think I made it up. I don't know. Don't. Okay. Think, I think don't they can, like, make me. fake food. Well, the good news yeah. is I will give you guys a preview clip to this, like, so you can listen to it beforehand. And <laughs> it's all just about the food. We, we focus the, entirely the 3D on... 3D printer on the new... Yeah. Printing. On the new yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we were talking about There Will Be Blood. Yes. And the idea of Plainview as the... As a hero, even if he isn't a hero, or mm-hmm. a villain if he's a hero, or a well, what hero makes a what makes a hero? That's what's fascinating about it. Yeah. It gives you it gives you every argument. I mean, we see him do terrible things. We see him kill someone, mm-hmm. but he's still our guy. Do you're, you're, we have empathy for him? Yeah, you're on side with him from the beginning, Why? even when you know you shouldn't be. How? Well, that's, what is that's, it? That's, that's filmmaking, anyway, isn't it? You spend 14 minutes with the guy off the top, and you feel, and you, as you said earlier mm-hmm. about. Seeing somebody fall and seeing their determination, and you you empathise immediately with them, and 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 I think as an audience member, we're told and trained that we must root for that person no matter what. But also, think you know, once once you've spent some time and you get into the rhythm of someone's life, you can forgive them and understand them for anything in the same way that you can do yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think we all do awful things th- sometimes, and we try to justify it. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. that time I killed a guy. Yeah. With uh, in the forest. I forgave you for that. Yeah, he pretends to be my brother. It was. It was not a good scene. Tried to take all my oil. Yeah. As long as it's research, I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. He was auditioning for the part of Daniel Plainview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, I just I. 
I don't know what it is about the performance. I don't know why I forgive him so easily and why I just want to watch. I just want to watch, and I have no... Well, it's, it's attra- he's attractive. It's, alphas are attractive, you know? Like, it's sexy. He does what he wants, and there's something so romantic about, about that. I almost wonder, too, like, if the lack of... If the decided lack of women entirely in it makes it easier for me to watch that... Mm. and not be upset like because I think because we were watching we've watched movies recently where I like don't even want to finish it because because the female character in it is so patronizing or Mm. so upsetting to me and there's no there is no woman in this movie there isn't a single woman in this film apart from the little girl apart from the little girl and but like I wonder if the wife of Sundays. Yeah, but she doesn't say anything. No, she doesn't. She did. They don't even cut to her. That's right. You know, like there's no female presence. And normally, I would have a lot of. I would. I would struggle. Maybe if they, if she, if there was a female presence, maybe that would like put it into stark relief. But I don't have any issue with the film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't go like, well, this doesn't like this is offensive to me, because there are no women in this. I'm like, I think I would be more. I don't know. What, why, what is that? I wonder if it's just because that's the world that Anderson has created without apology. Mm-hmm. Like he, he doesn't have a line excusing an absence or right. any kind of indication that there's other stuff that he wants you to know he's not putting in. It's right. just like Plainview. He doesn't care if you don't get it. Yes. He's just going to do what he does. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was a period of time. What was so amazing about watching him fall down that hole and the two deaths yeah. that happen... I thought about the things that men in history have done and how they put their bodies on the line and mm-hmm. um, for money and for success or whether it be, you know, driven for ego or just necessity, but just about how in history men have done ridiculous yeah. things. And... and, and and that's what this film is is also about. And you know, it was a it was a masculine world where guys would go off and, and risk their lives. For but they are talking about capitalism and Christianity. Those places that women don't have a place in those structures. No. Yeah. Those are solely patriarchal structures. Yeah. Like they don't. So the absence of them is actually. It's in tune. It's in like, tune. Yeah, I mean, especially and a hundred years ago, even more so. Yeah. Um, and it's again, it's the sort of thing that the the world is about to change in a way that will make what he does more difficult. The telegraph will, is there, but newspapers are there, but radio. The, the expansion of information will stop robber barons. I mean, mm-hmm. it did. That's what mm-hmm. happened. Uh, he's at a point where. Like that's the only time this movie could have been made. That's the only time this film could have been set. Mm. Is in a point where it is an exclusively male-dominated, ego-driven. He's God. Like he's he's creates his own religion in a weird way. Oil is his religion, and he's formed it in opposition to God. Yeah. And so yeah, he has no time for women. He has no time. They're all but even human. They don't even exist. They don't exist. Yeah. He might as well. They might as well not exist because he doesn't see them or pay attention to them. Yeah. But it's 
yeah, I just, I'm, there is no analog, right? Like, again, we come back to the idea that there isn't anything else like this mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I can point to and say, like, Lawrence of Arabia was was knocked last year by idiots who made a, a video saying, you know, there are no women in this film. It's like, yeah, we know. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. kind of the point. The only shot in Lawrence, the only women in Lawrence of Arabia are the ululating women in veils and burqas in the background of one shot as it. he rides up. Oh, my God. It's I know. Nice. There's so many movies. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wait for a theater. Yeah. 70 mil. Only way. Well, 4K restoration is pretty good, but just... Right. That was shot in the Wadi Rum. Oh, I shot yeah. a film in, in the Wadi Rum desert there really? when they shot it, yeah. Which one? Uh, it's just a <laughs> you heard that, right? Uh, I think the camera. I think yeah, the, yeah, the mic cut. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great. It's, it's just a, such yeah. a magnificent setting, or whatever it takes oh, to get beautiful. there. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Huh. I'm I was, all thinking, yeah, go. I was going to say something, but yes. I can't remember what. Capitalism, Christianity. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Yeah. About the. I was going to talk about the the ego of these these men and. Because actually Eli and Daniel Plainview are very similar characters. You know, it's all about them. It's about, it's, it's about them feeling like they are achieving something. Yeah. They are getting validated. But I don't know. Like, well, Eli wears a suit and Plainview is really doing it. I think that's, that's why Plainview susses him out as weak immediately. Sure. Because he knows mm -hmm. he doesn't really believe. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a con. It's a con. Plain view. Because he, but he wants the attention, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he wants... No, he relishes it. The, yeah. Just the sense that he's getting audiences with people and that mm -hmm. people are listening to him and that he has the power. Yeah, he has the power, pulpit. yeah. It's, and it's craven, right? It's purely for his own uh, enrichment, beatification, whatever you want to call it. He's doing it for himself. And plain view, I think he's doing it for something else that we don't understand. Yeah, we don't get any backstory of him, really. Yeah. He, like, he like is birthed yeah. at the beginning, and that's who he is, right? There's yeah. no... We don't even know that that's his name. It's just what he calls himself. I mean, once he comes right. out, he could be something else. Yeah. We do know his name's Daniel Plainview. Why? Oh, guys, Why? Because his brother comes and says... His brother's lying. I know, but he says, I need to see documentation. And, and he talks about where oh, right. he's from. Oh, that's true, yeah. And he also, talk, he also, mm. he also talks about his father, because his dad's had... Two relationships. Mm. <laughs> but uh, what? What's, what? I, I feel like he's a very damaged man from his childhood, and that he's. This, he, we see a man that's unable to love, or at least feels like he isn't deserving of love, mm. nor can he love. Which is why the relationship with the boy is completely brilliant, mm. because it forces him to to love, and he does love him. Um, but he, yeah, he actively makes choices. He's one of those guys that plays a martyr, you know, actively makes choices not to, not to be happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You feel that at the end, yeah, specifically. He's, he's completely broken. With that scene where he sends his son off, all he wants to do is get across the table and kiss him mm -hmm. and love him. And instead, he, he breaks himself. He hurts himself in the most, da in, in the most damaging way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a thing you can't take back. Yeah. Why does his son go deaf? What what is that? Because the no, um, I know why. <laughs> yes, I that's the one plot point I got. Oh right. But I mean, why? Like, what, do you mean? what is that? Why? I mean, what does why? It serve? What's that? What does it serve? What is what is why death? Like, I what think, is? I think Plainview's voice is his greatest strength. He can make you believe anything. If you can't hear him, you can't fall for it. All right, mm. that's cool. That's well, very cool. 
Is that just off the top of your head? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. That's, was that's, it really? Yeah, that's what I do. I feel <laughs> I feel the movie back at people. It's yeah, my, yeah. It's my that's strength. Super cool. It's the thing that makes the most sense, though, like logically, emotionally, that a writer would go that way, be- and also because I think so much of the film is visual and stark and has no dialogue or has less dialogue than maybe the average movie does. Um, those long stretches, it reflects that sort of isolation mm-hmm. in a weird way, like back at him and he sees, he can't handle the idea of someone who he can't make believe him. Yeah, also... Well, I, feel like, I feel like it's a different relationship with this boy. I feel like the, what the deafness does in terms of Daniel Plainview as a character is it gives him a huge obstacle. As an actor, I'm constantly looking for obstacles because it's interesting to see people struggle through something. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Daniel Plainview and his, and his relationship with his son, what it is is a huge obstacle because the deafness forces him to care for somebody m- even more. Somebody needs him uh, even more. Someone needs mm-hmm. him, and he, he wants to. He wants to care for him, but he's ill-equipped to do so. Right. And, and it's... And we see him break further, you know, it's... It's also, yeah, you can't be selfish when you have a kid who, who can't hear. Yeah. You can't, you can't, your world is about that. Yeah, he can't. Like, it's being, it's being a parent, right? Your world changes when you have a child. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be off, you know, doing your thing. You have to, that your life is about that person. Yeah. And so he sends him off to this orphanage and it, and it, and it nearly kills him mm-hmm. like even though it's more commonplace then people did it all the time if yeah. you had a difficult job or you were alone but mm-hmm. yeah there's that still... beautiful scene where he goes how big is your room how, how big is his room yeah just can't let, let him go but also as if that is like that will make me feel okay yeah oh his room's big how big is it okay but it's just but it's, it's surface obviously it's emotionally He's emotionally immature. Stunted, yeah. Stunted. And that's how he expresses... Daniel does this fantastic thing where he's constantly... Especially when he's in a moment of love, Mm -hmm. it looks like his head is going to explode because he he doesn't have the the vocabulary emotionally to get it out. Not not, not in terms of, like, speaking, but the, the way that he can process it, even in himself. He's like, his eyes are about to pop out of his socket. Yeah. But maybe because that is it. Too. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go on. No, but maybe that, back to that too, like in connection, connecting those two ideas, that there is something about him that is, mm, doesn't trust his, himself as a, as a father to be, um, I don't know, I'm trying to cut off it, his like... I think it's scary for him. Yeah. To, because I, th- I feel like he's made a choice in his life, that he's not worth loving, that he can't love, he's, he says that he doesn't like people, and he can't... He but as soon as his brother mm. arrives, yeah, as a replacement for, for his son, he just, you know, he, he loves. He, 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 want, he needs, he actually needs that. It's a lie. He does like yeah. people. But he hates himself for it. He hates he, he, You can see him pulling back, even as he extends humanity with, the brother, with his brother. He's just... He doesn't like it. He doesn't like what it does to him. Maybe mm-hmm. that's it. If you tell yourself you have no use for people enough, maybe you don't believe it, but you act to protect that idea, mm-hmm. which seems to be his other thing. Like when he's able to reach out to people, that's when he won't do it. With his son, with his brother, 
with any other human being with Paula Tompkins, there, there's a moment where you can simply say, oh, okay, I'll come in. Mm-hmm. But no, that's just mm-hmm. the refusal of human contact. I will not come in. I will I refuse any dealings. Mm-hmm. You know, you, with this the little is, girl, too, he like takes right. her over and he's like, your dad won't do that or won't hit you, won't hit yeah. you anymore. And then he goes, get out of, like, he gets like, get yeah, the hell out of here. Like, it's something really harsh. He's like, get out of here. Like, it's like so quickly, like, yeah, I gone. did the thing that I did. I yeah. regret it instantly. I immediately. I gave a little bit of myself. Yeah. I don't think it's that he regrets it. I just think it's that he can't handle it. I the intimacy he, of. I think. Yeah, that he can't handle. It scares him. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's he's like a lot of men. I think incredibly stunted. And this is around. You know, I imagine. He sings he sings a Gaelic song at some point to the to the kid, and that might just be Daniel Day Lewis, because he lives in Ireland and knows a song, and he's like, I know this like little song, but let's let's say that he comes from the UK, time of Edwardian <laughs> Br- Britain, where emotions are so tightly wound and taut, and everyone is completely suffocated in terms of their their love, especially men, mm-hmm. such rigidity, and fear. And we still have that in the UK. And I, I feel like it's a, actually an epidemic in, in men and masculinity. Right now, we're paying the price for it, you know. Yeah. It mostly, it's, it's men who commit suicide because they're unable to express their feelings. They can't, they don't, we are not geared or told how we are, how, how to process our feelings. And he is, he is that entirely. Mm-hmm. He, he kills himself. You know that's that's what he does. He can't. He's so desperately unhappy because he's unable to express the love that he has. That he 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 that last whole section. He's dead. Mm. He's an alcoholic who we see him give himself the, the put the noose around his neck when he says those horrible things to his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's shooting himself in the head. You know, it's all about self-loathing. The process of extinguishing himself. Yeah, and then the mm. final thing he does is kills, kills somebody. Mm. And then he says, "I'm finished." Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, guys. We assume at this point anybody who listens this far in. Yeah. 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 But that last, that I'm if finished, that is is so. Oh, they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is even the longest one this week. Uh, yeah, it is that that last croak of. I'm finished is so much, it's an exhalation for him. He's just letting it out. But in the audience, you get to go home. Like you've been trapped with him for three hours. And when he says, I'm finished, that's when the movie releases you, which I find. He lets you go. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's over. He is stopping. So whatever happens. And then that orchestration comes in that really like. Almost carnivalesque. Yeah. 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 You watch the show. You can go now. It's okay. It's over. I find that amazing. Oh, that's that, so that interesting. You can come out exhilarated after watching a man bludgeon another man to death. And it's not the high point of the film, but it's like, wow, you're yeah. out now. It's it's incredible. That's Anderson. He's just this, you know, the same way that Boogie Nights opens with that sort of sick, sad carnival music. Mm-hmm. And this almost feels like that mirror image of it, where mm-hmm. it's ending that way because now... And that's Kubert too, like ending Clockwork Orange with happy music, or and uh, uh, what's the other? Well, Eyes Wide Shut has that Colonel sound to it as well. Uh-huh. The music, it's just, it's an acknowledgement from the filmmaker that you're like my job as an audience member is over. It's okay now. You're hmm. done. 
but it just jarred it when I saw it the first time it was like being physically thrust out of my seat it was great it's mm. just so weird to go out on that high but it is it's a high he yeah. got what he wanted yeah kind of he it's, does that doesn't he? he 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 also gives the audience what you ultimately want mm-hmm. boogie nights yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. god magnolia just ending on a smile the possibility of happiness which is this thing that yeah. david kep said once that i've never forgotten about he always he, he doesn't think there's anything interesting about ending a movie with happiness but if you end on the possibility of happiness the audience will never forget you mm-hmm. and anderson gives you that in magnolia and punch drunk love is all about like you know removing the obstacles to being happy yeah. and being complete um and weirdly, that's one of the films I thought of with the other half, is that they're both films about people who only work together mm-hmm. and who separately... I mean, they can function, but it's not satisfying or, or, in it, or it doesn't enable them. In this, mm-hmm. Life doesn't work for them until they find each other. Mm-hmm. And Anderson somehow felt that. And then with There Will Be Blood, you have absolutely no hope. No. Like just the, the, the end of it. And you still come out happy. Yeah, I never feel bouncing. dark watching that movie. Yeah. I'm only Boyd, and I don't know why that is, if that's um, because there is no apology in it, Mm. because there's no judgment on him either, actually, there isn't, it's just, it's just like very base human behavior that I think we all kind of can go, yeah, like I resonate with that. It's the lack of apology for for his actions, and he's just doing it. Yeah. So satisfying. And there's an immense sense of humor to it even in in like and like daniel day lewis brings a huge humor to that character he has a he like has a joy a, in doing those he things he just has an innate lightness of touch with his work yeah even though he's so dogged and heavy yeah. it's so ethereal you know it's just so so light and floaty and and so unpredictable and it feels like he's always like skipping up on something Mm -hmm. like he's kind of playing the best jazz you know like and and just riding on something and it's none of it feels premeditated or you know he doesn't say any like I can sometimes when I I was listening to his just his inflection and the music in his voice and he never says anything like any other actor would say it. Mm. Like the line, like, what was the line that was just, yes, I do. What did he do? Instead of like... Oh, that's right, in the... In the uh, uh, at the end, at yeah. the end, he goes, do you... Do you, do you accept the blood of Christ? Yes, yes I do. Yes, yes, I, do. yes, yes I do. Yes, I do. And it's like, but it, it's just like, da-da-da. Like, the weirdest yeah. inflection, so obviously not premeditated, just like flowing <laughs> from... But from a huge sense of humor about it. Yeah. Like, and that's what makes it so compelling is like this guy who holds this huge weight, who's a murderer, who's a drunk, like who hates human beings. And I'm laughing and I'm like thrilled and I'm... But isn't that what cinema is? I mean, and stories, isn't it a chance for us to escape and watch the kind of people that we know are so wrong and we get to spend some time with them you know yeah. from the you know it's not but from the mundanity of being ourselves oh yeah and being good and nice and behaving and it's so fun to see somebody do the opposite you know it's yeah. just 
Uh, yeah, and distancing it by putting it in period, by making it not now, yeah. makes it okay, too. Because you can walk out of the theater trying to get your Plainview voice going, and no one's going to think you're actually a danger to them. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, like something like Train Spotting, where everybody's saying, oh, Begbie's my favorite character, and you're like, I don't know if I like you. That's, right. That's a dangerous presumption, because you can relate on the immediate level. You've never just chucked a pint over a balcony. One time. I felt bad about it. <laughs> that's really? my whole point. My you first time in England. I did all the time. See, that's the lesson of Bendy. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, Daniel Plainview is so much of a larger-than-life foghorn leghorn peacock kind of character. Yeah. It would be wonderful to just go home and talk like this for 30, 40 straight hours. I mean, I'm sure I could do it. You just, you want to do yeah. it. You're, you're enthralled. You're, you're seduced. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're, you're on his side. Yeah. Even before he speaks. But do you not think there's a little bit of Begbie in all of us? Well, yeah, but I don't want to be him. I don't like, know. I can understand I the impulse. I can I recognize the rage. I don't, I don't want to be him, but... But if you come out and go, oh, that guy was the best. I really like the way he, he approaches life. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, there are no right. good characters in Transpire. But is it wrong to enjoy? No, no, no. That's the vicarious pleasure of Enjoy watching yeah. him and the things that he does. Yeah. Because when, when he threw that pint... I remember the first time I saw us. Yeah. Thrilled and terrified and, you know, I just hated him all at the same time. Right. But you knew to hate him. That's the bit that I'm saying. There are people out there who, I mean, I, a couple of mm. people I know said that that was amazing and he's just, he was a liberating character. And it's like, well, in the movie, yes. But the mm. movie also tells you that he's a bad person who will kill you. So yeah. you kind of want to take away both lessons. And so you feel that by putting Begbie... In, well, my, in in a in in a oil mine in 1901. But that distance makes it, is it enough. That distance makes it enough to make it. Yeah, I think it's okay to carry it out of the, the theater in that way, the mm. way that you do with Plainview, where he's. I guess what it is because is he's larger than life. Because he's larger than life, but also because, given the movie's setting, he's not. Like, I'm not going to meet him around a corner. I'm not going to run into this guy in the world. So, part of that, there's a fantasy aspect of it that makes it okay for me to. Uh, I guess idealize is the wrong word, but to embrace Plainview in a way that also Begbie's not the hero of Transpotting. He's not the central character. He's, you know, he's the, he's the devil. He's the one who shows up every now and then and makes things worse for people. <laughs> yeah. This is what I call my Peter Mullen rule. But, you know, it's funny but, because... Uh, sorry, Rob, no. Robert Carlyle's career was made off that Absolutely. Role because so many people enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's a great performance, and it's a terrific character. But what I'm saying is that if you come out of Trainspotting thinking that Begbie's the best and I want to be Begbie, yes, no, that, that, that's an I, unrelatable I agree. That, that is, chasm. To and me. I don't want to be Daniel Plainview. Right, like, but it's okay to imagine it because it's something you could never be. It's something that's so completely for sure. But But it's it, so, like, not to get super political, but you, like, watch Trump and you watch that performance and it's, like... You can't take your eyes. There off is of morbid it. fascination. It's absolute, yeah. and and like the the deep need in me not to watch the inauguration mm. in order to not be an added YouTube hit on that or yeah. da, da da da. But like, but but the but it's 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 an interesting like because didn't this happen when like didn't it wasn't Plainview like basically at the same time as the war well it emerged yeah it was released in 2007 so it would have bubbled up around the time I would assume they started working on it when Bush was re-elected yeah in 2004 or at least that's when Anderson thought of it yeah or started into it and how long was Daniel Day-Lewis he was 
two years in prep. That's the thing, yeah. Two and a half to two years. Two and a half years. God, imagine being able to do that. So yeah, it must have been around 2004, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? It was, I mean, I'm sure it's in the air. And and oil being the center. Yeah. And and Christianity. And Mm -hmm. like religious yeah, evangelical extremism, right? Like, for sure, yeah. because also the, the war in Iraq just happened. George Bush had literally called it a crusade. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, that is the common, that is the, the marriage of these two things that in this movie are fighting for dominance. Right, yeah. And it's only in the uniting of the two of them that now, like, that's have, America, we right? We like, the world that we know, yeah, yeah. Especially in that part of the world. That's mm-hmm. right. It's set in Texas, mostly. I mean, yeah. yeah there's this great no, story. No, it's not set in Texas. It's set is in it? LA or in California, in, isn't it? It's set in California. Oh, sorry. They shot. This is the thing that I always remember. They shot in Marfa. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it's in as, Texas. The same um, time as No Country for Old Men. That's right. Apparently, right. one of the shots that you can see an oil tower. There's an oil. No. Th- they, they were doing. They were doing a test. Yeah. On of the, of the you know that incredible special effect yeah. where the, it goes up. The guys are Apparently, John and Ethan Cohen are filming this. It's this like plume <laughs> of smoke. Yeah. What the fuck is that's that? They actually they had to shut down filming yeah. for a couple of days. It's amazing. Uh, oh, just, that's so those cool. two yeah. films came out of the same physical space, too. It's so fascinating. I know, and they were both up for Best Picture when they. That, yeah, that 2007. 2007. And, and there are statements like those are the last films released or Oscar contenders, I guess, from the Bush era, because yeah. Obama would be elected in 2008 when Slumdog Millionaire right. won, which is this great, weird uh, echo of a yeah. film that was already you know, finished before the election, but hmm. that suddenly that becomes the thing that everybody rallies behind. That was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like this, this weird... Yeah, I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe There Will Be Blood is so interesting on, on, a, on a metaphorical level because it is like the, the origin story of America when it mm-hmm. was made, of, it, of that America. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. But to think of the two of them fighting is is so Mm -hmm. counter to, like nowadays they're intrinsically linked. Yeah. Well, that's it. Back when there was still the possibility of one of them winning, Mm -hmm. instead of just grudgingly sort of sort of cats cradling themselves together. Well, that's Mm -hmm. why Eli and and uh, Daniel are kind of very similar people because they are both businessmen. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. about bringing people people into the church it's about him making it's about Daniel making money it's and that's what has happened in, in America religion has become it's become so twisted into I feel like the people running the church aren't Daniel Plainviews you know they're they're the same I'm just basically repeating what you just said yeah Eli fails because he's not good enough at disguising his intentions hmm Otherwise, yeah, you know, he can fool almost everybody. I love it fool. when he turns up with that new suit and the, you know, the slick back hair. Yeah. <laughs> this guy who obviously the truth has risen to the top, mm-hmm. yeah. but he can't quite hide the flop sweat. That's not like, that's at all. Yeah. He's I love it. That you know, Paul was the smart one because Paul is the honest one. Paul came to me from the beginning and laid his intentions out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're both. Despicable, mm-hmm. but at least Paul was honest about it. I do. I just. I want to read the script. I want to know what was scripted and what wasn't. Because mm. to me, Daniel Day-Lewis flows so easily between what I assume is improvised dialogue and scripted dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And there's enough time in scenes where it could simply be letting it run for two more minutes, yeah. or, or just letting something happen and then getting back to the dialogue. Yeah. You watched totally. the thing on YouTube, which was 
Daniel Day-Lewis breaks out of character. Oh, yes. He doesn't. He's not really, right? No. Like, he kind of just calms down. At the end, yeah, yeah, he too. just has a little he laugh. He, like, smiles a little, yeah. Yeah. But that scene is complete. That, that, that take is just worlds apart from the, uh, the, t- the take that was in the film, including the timing of mm-hmm. the drinks. The music. Everything. Yeah. The guy brings in the drinks. In the actual film, he goes... We were here before then, and yeah, snatches and the drinks off him, and he does that great bit where he throws the, the thing the handkerchief over his head. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was improvised, but there were, there's there's key moments like the milkshake hmm. bit that that comes from a testimony in some court case. Yeah, so I think that might even be in, might even be in the book. Oh, in really? Sinclair's book or somewhere I know it. I know it's an old citation I think he, yeah he found it in his research I think <laughs> I've read something quite cool um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson every Wednesday night uh, during the edit they would drink steak and drink straight vodka oh god to get into to be to get into their Daniel Clay new head <laughs> isn't that brilliant and I like that's I, I was like, I was like that's such an interesting thing to do because What's interesting about that is I kind of get the sense that Paul Thomas Anderson isn't a director that sits around the edges kind of telling people where to go. Mm. I feel like he obviously feels that he needs to be as much Daniel Plainview as as the actor is, you know, as Daniel Mm. Day-Lewis. He is the story. Mm. And so he eats and drinks like him, even in in the edit. He needs to be channeling the character but he knows he can only do it once a week. Yeah, only yeah. once a week, yeah. yeah. But he inherits that from Daniel Day-Lewis. I thought that was really interesting because I've never heard of hmm. another director doing that. Yeah, not living like living that. Living it, completely That's super sensual it. too, isn't it? Like, the steak and the the alcohol. Yeah. Like, those are like... It's a sense... It's mm. a sense of what that man's breath would be and what his... Well, what his hangover would be like, assume, hangover right? or even be. if he has one, like how yeah. how you function through it. Yeah, yeah, that was the first thing I thought. Is like he must have been terrible on Thursday, but you would learn. Like that's something you would take with you. Yeah, yeah. I, th- this is so at odds with the person. I met him once, uh, Anderson. He mm-hmm. came for the TFCA dinner in two thousand when we named Magnolia Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, he came for the gen. It was the coldest night of. It's always the coldest night of the year, but it was this little Italian restaurant on Saint Clair West. And there were 30 of us, and it was so cold outside that when he went out to smoke a cigarette, you could just see him dying slowly. <laughs> uh, but he was interested in everybody's conversation. Like He, he was just always watchful, and he participated. Mm-hmm. But he was really clearly watching the dynamics of all these people he had never met before, or mm-hmm. he didn't, who had interviewed him once or twice. And it was just, I watched him watching them, and it was great. Mm-hmm. It was just this really kind of cock his head a little bit to listen mm-hmm. better, or watch something, or see who came out with the cigarettes. With him, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't smoke, so I would not go outdoors. Mm-hmm. I came out once to tell them it was time to come inside because right. they're from California and they don't know what they're doing to their no, bodies. They need to. Yeah, it's like come on, and no jackets either. Just like oh, oh the, the, the ash will keep us warm. No, <laughs> uh, but it was like she's someone I admire immensely. I mean, he hadn't even made this yet, mm-hmm. or, or Punch Drunk Love, which are probably my two favorite films. Punch Drunk's great. And yeah. so good. And finally on Blu-ray. Criterion. Oh yeah. Finally, oh, yeah. Nice. It's Criterion have got it. October, yeah, just came out, uh, awesome. and it's it's great. But it was so interesting to watch him then make these movies mm-hmm. because they're not like 
Magnolia's, it's getting there. It's a little impressionistic. Mm-hmm. And the transition stuff in Boogie Nights shows that he's being playful. But, you know, like Boogie Nights is his Scorsese movie and mm-hmm. Magnolia's mm-hmm. his Altman movie and mm-hmm. Punch Drunk Love is a thing that has no precedent and then There Will Be Blood is Kubrickian, but he's using it to his own purposes. I just, mm-hmm. like, what he's doing now is so different from what he was doing then. And it's, mm-hmm. That evolution has been just fascinating to me. Yeah, it is really interesting to see. Because uh, I don't... I think the thing about there would be fun. I don't necessarily understand it. Like I don't, I don't have uh, a great filmic vocabulary in terms of you know being like Kubrick. I couldn't, I couldn't say, but I enjoy it. There's something inherently that I am, I really love watching, and and but also with the master, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand it. Yeah. I, like, I, but I, I love it. Yeah. But but it's his evolution is really clear and his I, he seems like a director who's really willing to scare himself and push his boundaries and challenge himself to be different or better and such different worlds that he in, inhabits and he gets braver and braver yeah. and braver yeah. I think he builds them too that's the thing I find fascinating he's made you know, two films that are, well, Hard Eight, I guess, three films that are contemporary, but most of the movies require complete construction. Uh-huh. Like he had to build the world of the master, he had to build, he certainly had to build the world of, of There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. and Inherent Vice is all this elaborate recreation of 70s Los I Angeles. No, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, again, unlike his work, but it also isn't. Mm. Uh, and it has just magnificent work from Josh Brolin and, and Joaquin Phoenix. Mm. He's superb, Josh Brolin, isn't he? Yeah. Really undervalued. Like, even now, I think. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think it's just because he looks so square. Like, he looks... He has that almost caveman bearing that he brings in. It works. Mm. It's part of his role in Inherent Vice. And in Gangster Squad, too, which is a film that no one has seen, but which I... No. You know, it's like... <laughs> I've seen it. It's like kids remaking The Untouchables, but it's really interesting. Like, Ryan Gosling does this weird 40s movie voice. And, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. It's not... You can't dismiss it, right? You can't write it off. There's stuff in there that's... Choices are fun and weird. Hmm. And then there's what Sean Penn is doing. But, you know. <laughs> Different thing. It's his deal. Huh. Uh, we kind of mentioned the other half uh, as, as a, an analog to uh, Punch Drunk Love in a weird way, emotionally. At least that was my backfilling of it. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you guys have taken from There Will Be Blood? That's the final question of the podcast is what of this movie has made it into your DNA or what have you stolen or borrowed or referenced for yourselves? Oh, great Is, question. Did it ever come up? I feel like for me, uh, since I saw it, it changed the way I saw acting. Like it changed, it just, um, it just opened up something different in terms of character, in terms of like that, that freedom and that play um, and the thrill of doing it. Like there's something about watching somebody who obviously loves it so much and loves, and it, he's so meticulous about it. And he cares so much about the, the work and, and really being someone else, um, really discovering someone else. I feel like it's, it's entirely, it's, I do reference it constantly, whether it's watching it again or just watching, like we've talked about one scene. And I do it with Women Under the Influence too. There's certain mm-hmm. touchstone films that just like, will bring me back to the just the pure joy and love of of watching film and to me this film engages me every time in it engages that love of of cinema and of t- storytelling and of performance and 
character. Like I just, and I don't even know what it is exactly that I take with me, but it, it is just that, it's like a button. It just turns on that button. Yeah. Um, like a reset, like I, when, cause we went back, I went to set the day after we watched it and he was in my head all day when I was working, even though it wasn't, I was playing quite a contained character and I was just thinking about him and and thinking about Daniel Plainview and, and the stillness of that character and yet the explosiveness of it, that mm-hmm. it, it's fluid and also rigid. There's, Coiled almost. Yeah, yeah. But, but also like very animal and very in his body. Um, and I don't even know what it did, but it just was like, just inspiring, just exciting. I don't know. You look like you want to kill me right now. <laughs> Are you you are. Yeah. <laughs> Bane. Yeah, that's what Bane. Yeah. <laughs> the people. Yeah. That is so chilling when you that video. Just, that, right? Oh my god, yeah. isn't it crazy? Uh, we just watched Fury Road again last night, and I'm still at odds with the idea that Tom Hardy can inhabit those, you know, like this grandiose performance of Bane and this minimalist Max mm. who says like a hundred words in the entire. Says picture. one one sentence. And a few grunts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice the grunting until this, this viewing. So many grunts. How many noises he makes. Yeah. It's great. It's a commentary. I know, I know. I, I like his, his... his grunts in... Uh, what's oh. the Nicholas Winding Refn movie? Uh, Bronson. Oh, Bronson. Yes. Yeah. His, his grunts are like... Uh, it's like another soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm into them. Mm-hmm. So is there, a, <laughs> is there a reference point for you? Yeah, well, it's, diffi- it's difficult because um, I, having watched it again this week, I feel like I can't remember what it was, what what inspired me so much about it before. <laughs> but I, I'm similar to Tat, really. Um, and the more I've I've started to think more about making films myself, and so it was interesting to watch the way that Paul Thomas Anderson had constructed the film. And, uh, the 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 kind of tapestry nature of it, the almost non-linear storyline. I don't know what it is very linear, but the, but the, the, the this the way in which he tells the story and lets it unfold. Yeah. It's, it, it 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 allows you space to go to it rather than the other way around. But most most of the thing that I really stayed the stayed that I can't stop thinking about is again same as Tatis. His performance and acting, um, I feel like, as an as a person, as an actor, whenever I watch stuff, I'm always into learning more, and it's a constant, daily, minute by minute thing of challenging yourself and thinking about how to better oneself and being inspired and learning and trying that thing and then throwing the other thing out the window, and and I think what was so exciting about Daniel Day-Lewis in this is, and we watched some interviews about his process afterwards, is his fearlessness in in uh, in dropping into truth in moments and and how much fun he was having and, mm-hmm. that, and that you can play huge emotions and play huge characters, you can put on a silly voice and do a, do a limp, mm-hmm. you know I mean it's like it's like acting less, you know, no-nos. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but that 
it's okay actually I, I feel like me personally uh, I, I, I've been bogged down in kind of this mumble core realism being really honest and true and that's a process that I've been going through over the last few years <laughs> it's about making sure that I'm honest and, and real and true and actually sometimes that isn't the most entertaining thing to watch and it isn't actually always the most true. We're huge in life. So we big, feel yeah. things massively. And we're incredibly expressive. And we do speak with rhythm and beautiful and cadence and, you know, like, like and musicality, like I'm doing right now. You're you conducting, know, yeah. yeah. Right now. And, and, and it was inspiring to watch an actor have so much fun and have so much fearlessness. Uh, and bravery in in his performance, but not a moment of that performance. It's not a moment I don't believe yeah. no, as being connected or real or true. And I, I feel very deeply everything that he goes through, and um, and so that 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 was that was really inspiring. I'm I'm off to play a, a Daniel Plainview character in a couple of weeks, <laughs> and. Um, it's funny, you, some, you know, sometimes you watch something and go, oh, I watched this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, this, is, I've, this mm-hmm. is for a reason. And I'm excited to approach this very heavy character with, you know, as much joy and as lightness as I, as I can. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and it's, yeah. that's, that's what I'm, I'm taking from it right now is... And I, I, do you know, I'm, I'm sure that when I watched it before, it, I had the same response to it in terms of his performance. It's just nice to be reminded of, yeah. of it I also thought it was really interesting that having seen it and built it up and seen it so many times it's still it's has the same punch for sure when I watch it a friend and I my, 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 my friend is a fantastic composer and uh, we were talking about an album we've been rec- listening to recently In the first four listens we listened to it mm-hmm. loved it and then that's got bored and he got really bored of it too and we were trying to work out what that is and why there are some albums that you can listen to that initially they're really hard work yeah but then you can just put them on and you can listen to them for 10 years and it never gets old you know I've been listening to Bjork now for 10 years and I think what it's about is an honesty and a truthfulness and a um and I feel like that, that film, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson is a filmmaker anyway, he searches very deep inside himself and he challenges himself and he's, tr- he's not trying to make something that we've seen before. He challenges himself to make the film that he wants to make, mm-hmm. honestly. And, I, and, you know, he immersed himself apparently in research and oil and, you know, he just literally, you know, smothered himself in, in black oil. <laughs> Just researching the world. That he made a film born out of that with no expectations for anything. And it feels unique and honest. And that's why you can revisit that film over and over and over and over again. And it'll keep on giving and surprising because each moment is, is thought about, you know, it's... It's not contrived in any way. It's not pretending to be anything else yeah. other than there will be blood. Mm-hmm. And there's no other film like it, yeah. apart from uh, Kubrick or 
And that's 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 exciting. I think. And I think it is also that back to the honesty thing. It's and it, I think the reason why I can watch women under the influence over and over as well is that because they're so alive in that moment that's happening, it won't be dated. It can't be dated. Yeah. It can't be because it's it's a stylized piece, but it's still about the actors being present in that moment. And Daniel Day-Lewis is so present with his scene partners and is calling them on all their shit and, and, and in, in a mess of whatever he's going through and like letting it out. There's nothing, there's no selfishness to it. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to, have, he doesn't seem to listen to himself or no, censor himself. He's but, putting it over there. It's and that's why it comes line. out weird, and it doesn't, and it sounds, it's like odd inflection because there's nothing, there's no self consciousness, weirdly. Yeah. He allows himself about to be, to surprise himself. Yeah. That's, that's really inspiring because, you know, I find as an actor, you, you always, the first time you read a scene, cold, it's the best you'll ever do it. Because it's because you're reading the lines for the first time, they're coming out loud, you're surprising yourself because you don't know what's next. And then what happens is you have to learn the lines and you have to get them into your head and then you kind of sometimes fall into rhythms and mm-hmm. I mean I, I mean as you as you get more experience you learn not, not to do that. Right. But, but your inclination is gonna to be to prepare. Prepare, yeah. of course, and to kind of go, Well, this is what this means, this is but he just seems to have such uh, he seems to surprise himself. And make himself laugh at times. You know, you can see him laughing at himself that he's so surprised at how something came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's joy. It's joyful. I mean, it, it's a guy at the top of his game, and it's um, yeah. I'm excited to to try it, mm-hmm. and to play play with it as as, a, as an artist myself. Mm-hmm. So watch out, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks to Tatiana Maslany and Tom Cullen, who are just the best people ever, and who are really, really great in the other half. Available on VOD in Canada today, and opening theatrically in the U.S. this Friday, March 10th. You should also keep an eye on the Canadian Screen Awards this Sunday, March 12th, because Tat's nominated for two acting awards. She's up for Best Actress in Film for The Other Half, and Best Actress in TV for, you know, that Orphan Black show. I would not bet against her. You can find Tat on Twitter at Tatiana Maslany, all one word, and Tom at Tom underscore Cullen. And you can find There Will Be Blood on DVD and Blu-ray from Paramount Home Entertainment. It's also available for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. I don't know, maybe mention that the two-year anniversary of the show is approaching and that you've really enjoyed it. That would be cool. And seriously, whenever you came on board, thanks for listening. (laughs) 